Hello, beautiful souls, and welcome or welcome back to the Thoughts That Manifest podcast. I'm your host, Elle, and I am a mindset and manifestation coach who aims to inspire you to awaken your mind to the limitless potential that is within you. I'm back today with Courtney for another episode of our Unconventional Conversations. Really excited about this one. We are talking all about making big life changes, big career changes, how to deal with feelings of feeling like a failure, and putting a lot of pressure on ourselves and how we worked through that and so much more. So I'm pretty excited for this episode. We are hoping to get our own podcast channel shortly, so stay tuned for that and be sure to check us out on social media. I will leave links in the show notes below where you can follow us. And without further ado, let's jump into today's episode. Hello, everyone, and I'm back with Courtney. Hey, everybody. We're so excited to be back today with another episode for you from our Unconventional Conversation series, which is soon, very, very soon going to be its own podcast channel. So stay up to date with that. If you enjoy hearing our talks and conversations together, we will be giving you more details on a further future episode shortly. But (laughs) today's conversation is all about, you know, when you're going through big changes in your life, when you want to make big career changes, or when you're moving away from family and friends, getting through those big changes and not internalizing any feelings of feeling like a failure. If you do decide to make a big shift, like changing a career, we're going to be talking all about that. So we're really excited And yeah, without further ado, let's jump into this. So Courtney, how are you doing today? I'm good. We're doing, we're doing a vibe check. So everybody get coffee, get a tea, sit down, enjoy this, or go outside for a walk or go to the gym and listen to this on the treadmill. I want you guys to enjoy this and do whatever self-care you have at this time while you listen to us and kind of absorb our back and forth here. Absolutely. Yes. I agree with all of that. So I guess kind of where I want to start with this is I'm going to turn this over to Courtney a little bit and get some of her insights because she actually has gone through some big major shifts, you know, that could feel really scary to some people. But I feel like when I saw you go through this big shift in your life, like you took it like a freaking champ. So (laughs) I'm really interested in to hear the advice that you may have for other people. So kind of share, let's say, let's go back to when you moved away from me. <laughs> okay. No, <laughs> I was actually like, just had this random thought pop into my head about another time too that happened a little bit before that that you would recall, which is when I transferred colleges. Mm, yeah, um, and so that's a really profound one that I think would be good to start if you're okay. Actually, Absolutely. starting there. Yeah. Okay. So I used to go to the University of Massachusetts in Boston in Dorchester. It's a great school, but when I went there, it was a commuter only school. You know, I had to drive from, I lived, I grew up in Oxford, Massachusetts. I had to grow, drive all the way to Boston and it was a really long drive. So I used to take the train. I had to get up at like four o'clock every morning. It was a big commitment 
So I was pre-med. I always wanted to be in medicine. I think I decided that in like fifth grade. So long story short, I took chemistry at this college and the college was like 20,000 or 30,000 kids, which, you know, going to Oxford High School, Lauren and I went there. I graduated with a hundred kids maybe. So it was a big culture shock and a big change in terms of like classrooms and how everything operated. I didn't do well. I didn't know who my teacher was. My teacher didn't know who I was. There was three, 400 kids in this class. So I failed it, took it again. I got a D, which is not considered passing by anyone's standards, I guess. And so in order to take it a third time, you have to ask the dean for permission of that college, science college. So I go to and ask permission and they looked at everything and they were like, yeah, I'm not going to sign this. Like you need to change your major. Like you're obviously not cut out to do science. So I go home, have a Mach 12 meltdown because this is all I've ever wanted to do with my life. And I think I called you crying, called my dad. I just felt like a complete failure. Like there was nothing else I wanted more from my life. And it was my way of being able to give back to my community and to have someone that you look up to that you think is smart and brilliant, who doesn't actually know you, but you already like almost idolize them or put them on a pillar. Talking about that dean of the science college tell you that you're not cut out for something but they don't know you is like so self-defeating because you're like well maybe they're right it's almost like Gilmore Girls when Rory is like told that she shouldn't be a journalist by somebody who doesn't really know her Mm. and know her worth ethic or even like her actual talent for that and then she destroys her whole life for a while so it was It was terrible. So my dad basically told me, he said, it's not you, it's that school. And I trusted my dad because he really liked me and my school journey and believed in me, supported me. I think you also told me the same. So I actually transferred schools. While I was transferring schools, my dad passed away. And I think like two weeks after he passed away, I got a letter that I got accepted to the new school I wanted to go to. I remember calling my stepmom really excited and being like, it's, it's good news. It's, you know, like a message from the universe and from dad that like, you know, I'm meant to do what I want to do with my life. Sorry. Oh, I, I'm so sorry. It's okay. It, it's like happy, not sad. No, I know. Um, yeah. It's like, it's like that moment where you're like, it kind of felt like he was talking to you. Exactly. Yeah. It was, it was like full circle, you know, life and uh long story short, like, we'll, We'll get to how everything worked out eventually, but now I'm a nurse. So everything has kind of worked, worked out, but yeah, it was, it was crazy. That's crazy. And I think too, it's also reflective of how much we let people outside of us, like how easy it is to let people outside of us. Yeah. And like dictate our life and our choices. No one else. And I say this to Lauren, but she knows it because she's and she, I can't wait for her to share her part of the journey. No one else, and I mean no one else, can dictate to you your potential and where you can go. If you have the grit and determination, passion and drive to do something with all of your heart, then absolutely follow that. Yes, 100%. Like, if anything, we are living proof of that. And I, th- I also kind of want to touch back too on how you're talking about the D, like the D, the grade that you got. So Courtney, she will speak for this too, but she is so freaking hard on herself when it comes to <sighs> grades. 
Yes, grades do not determine your value. I need to take that. That is a huge lesson that I think she learned. But do you want to like kind of talk a little bit about that? Because I feel like that could help so many who also struggle with that. I think you and I have had this conversation and and this is where I said like our show is going to go in a little little bit of different directions. So we'll take a small detour. I feel like it really goes back to this concept that you teach small children that their work is related to a numerical grade and that that somehow relates to their worth. And when you do that to small children, that hardwires us for life to believe, okay, well, my smartness is measured by, I think it's quantitative, which is the letter grade. And then that is my worth. That is how the world sees me. And that's my value because that's how I'm going to get into college or even like certain hospitals that I was applying to residencies for out of nursing school. They wanted our GPA. And so, you know, it correlates in a lot of ways, but it's like, well, what do you expect children? And then you see, I won't get into who it is, but I have a family member who is a young teenager who, you know, genius, beautiful, brilliant, wonderful soul. But her grades stress her out so much that she puts a lot of undue pressure on herself and everything always works out fine. She ends up honestly getting like straight A's. But to see someone who has so many other qualities than just a grade. Excuse my dog um, in the background. That will be hard to uh, cut out. Sorry about that, guys. (laughs) It's okay authentic life happening. Uh, So I think that's one of the biggest problems is like from the beginning, I think when kids are smaller and they don't have that development in their brain to understand that like this grade doesn't determine my value. I also think it's personality based. I just always wanted to do well and quotations do well. And so doing well was getting good grades. I also put a lot of undue pressure on myself to go to college because neither of my parents had gone to college and I wanted to I wanted to have the dream I wanted to have a nice car and a big house and a big family and not worry every time I woke up about you know how I was going to pay the mortgage or every time I went to the grocery store I think I only have $20 so what am I going to do with this I wanted to live comfortably and happily Mm. and just to go off of that There also, I think with college and just the education system, there's this narrative that's painted that if you don't go to college, you won't be able to live a comfortable lifestyle. So that's why Mm -hmm. we put so much pressure on ourselves to get those good grades to go to college because, oh my gosh, survival mode takes over. And it's like, if you don't go to college, you will not be able to afford a comfortable living, but can be an illusion. It really depends Uh, on each person. It's There's so many factors that play into like, if college, because the numbers look great, like statistically, they could be like, you know, if you are in college, on average, throughout your lifetime, you make a million dollars. But if you go to college, on average, those people make $10 million in their lifetime. And like those vague numbers are nice, but you're not talking about the class of the person that's going to college. So you're not saying, okay, these people, this group of people, their parents can afford to pay for their way through school. These people are people who worked and paid their way through college, which I don't even think that's possible anymore because you couldn't live on your own and keep up with that. And even if you lived at home, you couldn't keep up with it. And then there are people who, like me, my parents didn't make enough money. So I had to take out federal student loans and I have from nursing school, a few private loans. Mm -hmm. So there's that. And then I think the aspect of the major that you choose is significant. 
some people can work in business and they get really successful and they know people in like the business, do you want to say that like sector of the corporate world and they can get a good job. And then there's people who go into business majors who don't know anyone and they have a hard time finding a job or people, a lot of people, I think I went to school with, we all thought that being some type of science major, I was a biology major would obviously have a nice paying job when you got out because science, we're always on the cutting edge of everything and doing research. So medicine is huge here. And we're always coming out with new treatments and new medications. So of course, if you have a science degree, you're going to have a job and it's going to be a good paying one. That didn't happen. Yeah, I was actually going to say, like, if you wanted to touch on that a little bit and like what life was like for you when you first graduated college. So when I like first, first graduated, I was kind of like riding high, you know, because the first time I graduated, I was the first person to graduate. I moved like two days later to Austin. So I had a lot of huge shifts in my life. A lot of happy things were going on, but then it was really hard for me. And this, I don't think is exclusive, like mutually exclusive to Austin. I had a hard time finding a job. I think it took me like two months maybe. So I was living off of savings because when I was in college, I actually worked at one point, I worked three jobs. So, and went to school full-time. So I was living off of savings and we were also staying with my now mother-in-law till we found like the area of Austin we liked to move into. It was hard. And then it was really disappointing because this is back in 2016. The only job I could, that I had like an official offer for, cause I went on several interviews was $15 an hour. And the benefits were um, 80% paid out of my pocket. So I had to pay 80% of the cost, which is usually not the scenario. A lot of the time, if you work for a larger company, they pay most of that. So that was a harsh reality check. I think I was making maybe $800 every two weeks. Yeah. And with a college degree, it's like, mm-hmm. it feels a like a slap year. in the face. Yeah, I had a four-year bachelor's science degree. It's like, so I think that's where... It really will all depend. But now I feel like this was a moment for you where you had this shift of where you wanted to go. So it took a while. I do remember having some pretty emotional breakdowns with my husband. And like, there was a point where I literally took my degree and whipped it at the wall and said, it's $50,000 and it's fucking useless. So (laughs) Uh, you know, I, I had $50,000 in student loan debts. I wasn't even making enough money to cover my monthly loan bill in order to be paid off within 10 years. And then when I applied, thankfully I had federal loans. So when I applied for like the repayment based on like how much money you make, they were like, oh yeah, you only need to pay like $50 a month. I'm like, do you want me to pay you $50 a month until I croak? Really <laughs> though. like, And what? I still won't have paid you back. Like, I'm very confused. Mm. So there were a lot of difficult times where I was just so mad at myself. I felt like I was so eager to get into going to college and trying to make this like big life change that would make my life better and easier. All the things that were like promised by the concept of college. And I came out and none of it was true. I felt completely lied to. And now oh, by the way, I'm swimming in student loan debt and can't afford to live on my own. So I went through a period of time where I really hated myself. I didn't trust myself. 
the, I felt let down by my parents. I felt let down by society. I was mad that none of my teachers said anything to me. I felt really unsupported by the university I went to. So it was, it was pretty dark. And I ended up finding another lab that would hire me when I had some experience. And they paid me slightly more. I think I made like $21.50 an hour, which I initially, when I heard that, I was like, oh my God, this is going to be absolutely amazing. I can finally like live on my own and pay for things, which if anyone's followed the news on Austin, it's just gotten more and more and more and more and more expensive rapidly since we moved here outpacing so many career types of compensation. So that fast, fastly became not enough money. And not because I wasn't spending it wisely or saving it. I let me tell you, Courtney is a saver. Yeah. I'm like the crazy coupon lady, the gift card target lady. (laughs) I haven't moved since we moved into our apartment because our apartment rent is literally almost, almost like locked in. That's It's like a different story, but like all the other rents around us for these new places they're building are almost double what we pay. So it was just really self-defeating yet again. And then the working environment in that other lab, which like, I don't even care. I don't work there anymore. It's Sonic Reference Lab here in, I think they're technically in Round Rock. It was just toxic. Like I had two male supervisors, one who was like very aggressive like you would put in for your earned PTO and then he'd like purposely his office was like outside the lab and he'd purposely like walk up to you in the lab with like an aggravated face and be like so you think you can take time off mm. and you'd be like yeah I have PTO for it and he'd be like well I have to make sure that no one else has already requested it off and he'd be like all aggressive and there was like no sense of community there or camaraderie like among the employees it was very catty very gossipy like I worked with one lady who would literally like she was the eyes and ears of everyone's personal life outside of work and like if you even sat near her in the break room she would tell you everyone's story about everything personal going on in their lives like divorces, cheating, and all this messy stuff. Like people who are trying to do IVF who've like confided in her, like just crazy stuff. And then half the time it wouldn't be true. And then I found out that while I was working in that lab, that there's a separate degree. So I just had like a regular bachelor's degree. They had like a medical laboratory, like some specific degree that was like sought out by that type of lab. I forget what it is. And they were making like 30, some of them were making like $35 an hour. Now, meanwhile, they were doing the exact same job that I was doing. In fact, the girl who gossiped, which she's not a girl, she was an older lady. She was like 45 or whatever. She would mess up setting up some of the assays that we were running in the lab and I would catch it and I would fix it. And I had interviews where I talked to my boss and I'm like, she's literally ruining tests that are thousands of dollars for us to run. And I'm fixing what she's messing up and you're paying her like 10 more, almost 10 more dollars or more than me an hour. And she's messing it up and I'm fixing it. And it's the same job. Yeah. And it's like, it's those, it's those toxic work environments that really can like break a person down. It just destroys, it like eats away at your soul. Literally. Going there every day. And the other thing of like going there five days a week, I don't want to trigger anyone, but it made, it made me borderline suicidal. Mm -hmm. I was like, I have to go here again with these people. It was so bad that I was taking my lunch break. And my other breaks, which we had like one 15 minute break in the morning. And then we had like a half hour lunch. I would eat 
by myself in the car to hide from people so I didn't have to talk to them. And not because I'm antisocial. I'm actually really social. I have like, you know that. I'm, yeah. But I was like, this is so toxic that I just can't even be around it anymore. Mm, I don't blame you at all for that. And I feel like somebody listening can probably relate to that struggle of being in a toxic work environment and waking up and just being like, I physically cannot get myself motivated to leave this bed to go to work right now. And I mean, I've had jobs like that too, like where I would just not want to go in or just cry after my shift being like, why am I doing this? Am I going to be stuck in this situation the rest of my life? But Mm -hmm. I actually find that those are the moments that actually lead us to those breakthroughs and get us realigned with our purpose, with our path. Because if none of that ever happened, you wouldn't be where you are today doing what you do today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it goes back to our first episode where we talked about the idea that if you had a different situation or circumstances of your life, you wouldn't be who you are today. Mm-hmm. So as much as the struggles suck while we're struggling, they are going to, if you can make it through and you can do the the work, it will make you a better version of yourself or or a new season of yourself when you come out the other side. I think it's pretty interesting. I think you should share about your experience when you were serving a little Mm. bit and how that made you feel. And when you were struggling before you really decided to, you know, go out on your own and be an entrepreneur. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm sure like maybe there's some of you who are listening that have heard this story before, but for those who are new or who haven't heard this yet, I, before I'm doing what I'm doing today, which is, I guess could say an entrepreneur, just having many different sources of income from things like I'm self-employed essentially. Before that, I was actually a college dropout. I went to college for like a year because again, I was in that mindset of if I don't go to college, like that's the thing I'm supposed to be doing. I'm supposed to get my degree to make a living. And my dad never went to college. My mom went, but she also dropped out. So I guess I'm following her, following her footsteps. Thanks, mom. No, um, but her, I yeah, dropped but out. My mom's successful. Yeah, no, yeah, she's successful in her own ways. She was always a very independent, hard worker, like hard worker. She does not know how to sit down and stay still. But yeah, so I did that. College just was not for me. My head was not in it. I was distracted. I didn't have any motivation to. I feel like your heart wasn't in it. Like you wanted to teach people, but you didn't want to conform to like the rigid way that they were teaching you. That's my issue. I am like, I cannot conform. That's my issue. (laughs) I want, like, I go against any kind of control. Like if I feel put in a box, I literally freak out. Like I have to be like broken, like set free from that box. That's how I feel. I think that must be a correlation in our zodiac signs because I'm the same way. I don't like being controlled and you're not going to put any limits on me. I'm going to prove you wrong every fucking time. Yeah. I mean, you're an Aquarius sun, which is very much like that. Any other fellow Aquariuses can relate to that. And then I have all Sag in my chart and we are Mm -hmm. like the freedom seekers, the truth seekers, the, you know, independent gotta go cannot be tied down type of person. Yeah. I, so, even, like, I got to go. Bye yeah. bye. And we also <laughs> can be very like fixated and opinionated on our beliefs. Like we have our own personal beliefs and it's really hard to like sway us. We're open-minded, but we will always come back to what we believe in. <laughs> 
Like I'm willing to hear your perspective, but I'm stubborn. I'm not going to change my perspective. Like, but we may not see eye to eye and I'm very open to hearing your perspective, but at the end of the day, I'm going to do what's best for me, what I think is best for me. And that's kind of how how I always been. How did you deal with, I mean, I know, but the listeners don't know. Yes. yes. Uh, How did you deal with like backlash from your family? Cause I know Mm. your family, you're your extended family and some of your close family are very religious, very like old school and how they want you to do everything and uh, the backlash of dropping out of college. Yeah. Yeah. So honestly, when it came to dropping out of college, I thought that I would have gotten more backlash than I really did. But that's one thing that I was kind of really, I guess, grateful for was that my mom, so the backlash didn't come until I started tarot really Mm -hmm. and like embracing my spirituality because that was where we saw differently um but my mom has always been pretty supportive other than up to that point so that's why when it came to that moment in my life my life it felt like harsh because I was not used to it because I was always used to her being like really encouraging and just being like don't worry like go after what you want and you'll make it happen like it's all gonna work out kind of mentality so in at, at this point in my life too I wasn't talking talking to my dad, really. Like, even when I had these conversations with my dad, he'd be like, oh, I didn't even know that happened. Like, I'm like, yeah, you didn't, but it did. And yeah, he tells me now he's like, I would have told you, like, if you didn't want to go to college, you didn't have to. And I was like, well, I guess nobody really forced me into going to college. I think where my struggles were, were it was like a belief in my mind because of my guidance counselor. Guidance counselor was the one that heavily pushed it. And she was like, you don't want to go to a community college. You want to go to like a state college or a university and you want to get your degree and yada, yada, yada. If you want to be like, which is not always the best advice. Like, especially if you are in the Austin area, I highly recommend Austin community college. Mm -hmm. They are a phenomenal school and they're incredibly affordable. I did all my nursing prereqs with them. Wonderful, wonderful. Uh, we're just going to plug community colleges because they don't get enough credit it's a great way if you need to pay your way through school while you work to go to a community college get your two-year degree and then find work somewhere where they will pay for you to get your bachelor's you don't have to go right into a four-year school exactly and you don't need some fancy college like you really don't so Anyways, after all that, I ended up being a full-time server, which has pretty much been the only job that I know because I've always worked in the food industry, always worked in the serving industry, just like constantly going from one serving job to the next. And I finally landed on one, which we won't mention names, but (laughs) um, one that I've lasted with for a long time. But at the end of the day, that environment and being a server, anybody who has been a server, for some reason, I feel like a lot of self-employment people have started off being a server. I don't know why, but I feel like that's just such a thing that I hear. Maybe it's because that job really pushes people to their breaking point, which is crazy because it's really like you think like server, like that's not difficult. Like I'm not comparing it to like nurses, for example, or policemen or like jobs. A lot of good nurses were servers first. Yeah. AKA Courtney. (laughs) It's just one of those jobs where people's true colors show. They really do. They, they get like frustrated over, you know, if their burger is slightly undercooked or if their drink isn't refilled within like five seconds of them finishing their last sip. And it's like, or they, then there's the polar opposite where somebody you like, you go to fill up someone's water cup, they're like, they just like dead face look at you with death eyes and they're like, I don't want more water. <laughs> and you're like, uh, okay, 
Okay. okay. Which plug, I worked at this place with Lauren, so I know what she's kind of talking about. Yeah. And honestly, uh, it's probably the type the vibe of changed. environment. Yeah. The vibe changed. Because after I moved to Texas, a bunch of other people who worked where Lauren worked, I worked with her, a bunch of our friends. We had a solid group, I would say like 15 girls mostly. And we would just kill it. We all were like doing our side work, doing our serving shift, being caught up, helping each other. Just most people didn't have a bad attitude. Most people are mostly regulated. You had a few people. And then after I moved, a bunch of people moved to different jobs as well. And then you kind of got like this weird batch of servers and they all had different personalities personalities and then the management changed a bunch yeah the management changed too it was just it wasn't it was not a good environment and a lot of people went on like power trips and I think too what I really struggled with was just it was definitely the atmosphere but on top of that it was like I didn't really get to take breaks when we took breaks it was on the fly like on my double shifts it was like I was constantly running around like my head cut off that's what I felt like Like the truth of the service industry is that like, if you're a server and you're working two double shifts, your server is in the back by the dirty sink in the trash, trying to woof down a burger in between attending to your every need because the place they work for does not give them any sort of break. Yeah. While getting triple sat, which is not fun. And they haven't had anything to drink in eight hours and they probably also now have a bladder infection. Yeah, it's so true. And a lot of kids came in, which, you know, nothing against kids because I love kids, but teach your children about tipping. Manners. <laughs> Manners for sure, 100%, but also tipping so because kids just don't understand that in the US, I know not every country is like this, but in the US, we have to work for tips in the serving industry because we don't get paid an hourly wage that's the same as minimum. I think it's oh. like three to four dollars an hour. It's it was literally we were making three dollars and fourteen cents an hour. And what happened is you never actually got a paycheck because you have to claim all your tips at the end of your shift and they know how much you make. So you never saw your $3 an hour check because the government took it for taxes. And then at the end of the year, when you file your taxes as a server, you have to pay the government. Like I think I paid them $1,500. I think you've paid them that or more. So you don't, you, it's not. I remember uh, the last time I've gotten taxes back. Let's be real. Yeah. And now it's self-employment. It's just like even worse than I've expected. But you know what? I'm living and I'm learning. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think the reason why a lot of people who are servers do we take the path that you have to be an entrepreneur is because like the, I think a little bit of the idea of being a server is that you have a little, like you have your own autonomy almost like not over your shifts in terms of like the days and times you work, but over like how you're going to set up your structure of how you want to work for the most part and how you're going to handle your tables. Like you get that autonomy. And so if you get someone who really thrives with that kind of autonomy, and then you have a business that tries to force certain things and like punch out that autonomy, you get this sense of, okay, well, I can take these skills I've learned, like people skills, time management skills, critical thinking skills, because that's there is definitely a critical thinking involved in some crazy situations that happen when you're a server in restaurants that you wouldn't even think of that you just you have to think your way out of. And you can apply that to so many other personal careers. 
Yeah, absolutely. So at the end of the day, it was like, I was just doing that full time and I could barely pay my bills because it's like one of those jobs where you don't know how much you're going to make. You can guesstimate, but planning for it um, is hard, which actually has helped me in my self-employment job for sure, because that's also another thing where the money fluctuates up and down and you can't really plan or, you know, sometimes the consistency isn't always there, but regardless, it was just exhausting physically and mentally on me. Emotionally, I would just be so upset after some shifts where I would just get tipped like crap and just get the short end of the stick and deal with like passive aggressive comments from, you know, bosses and just not feeling good enough or whatever else. And that's when I just decided to start a blog to kind of take away from, I guess I was like in a sense escaping my reality. I did that through Pinterest as well. And I remember one day I was just sitting on my couch pinning things. And I I noticed that people like made a living off of Pinterest. And I remember looking at Josh and I was like, mark my words, one day I'm going to be making a living from Pinterest. And he's like, I believe you because he knows, like, I'm the type of person when I say I want to do something, like I can definitely do it. I get this determination that just comes over me and I just like go after it full speed ahead. And that's exactly what I did. And Pinterest was definitely the turning point for me when it came to like going self-employed and like my blog. Yeah. I feel like it, it, I feel like too, I remember when you were like coming to that conclusion and I felt really happy that you kind of like got revitalized when that happened, because honestly, for a while, I got really, really concerned because I felt like, and I, I shared this with you, but I felt like you had gotten into this emotional state where like I didn't recognize who you were anymore it was almost like the lights were on but no one was home Mm -hmm. and it seemed like it seemed like nothing you did actually brought you joy and like other aspects of your life and it was like scary because someone who cares about you you're like you know what is going on and then when you finally found something that was like feeding your soul it was so encouraging to be like just do it full steam ahead like if it works out it it's that's awesome. And look where you look where you are now. And if it doesn't work out, then you tried it, you can try something else. Exactly. And that was definitely the case. Like if I I honestly felt like I hit my rock bottom, but that's those moments where it taught me that we can't have breakthrough moments if we aren't at rock bottom. If you think about it, like the challenges, unfortunately in life, I think a lot of the time, it's the hardest moments and the most challenging that if you can keep that small glimmer of I believe in myself and I trust in myself and I trust in like the divine universe. And, you know, if you're religious, your your religious beliefs to guide you through this mm-hmm. enough that you can re-regulate emotionally and then come up with an idea of what you do want your ideal life to look like. And then one, you know, each day work towards the smallest and most attainable goal that will get you there. And then over time, you will wake up one day and you will be living a life. Exactly. And I think too, now, if I just circle back to those moments in our life where all of a sudden we were like, okay, I think I need to change the direction that my career is going. I had that moment and so did you. So I thought it would be like really helpful to share our perspectives of that and like what we learned from it, because I feel like it was very challenging at first for both of us. And it was definitely a shift, but ultimately it led us to something that fulfills us more. Let's start with you and talk about like your (laughs) career shift and how you worked through it. Because I don't know if you can relate, but for me at first, it kind of felt like this moment of like, am I a failure? 
definitely went through failure phases. Like I said, I had thrown, I had emotional breakdowns where I'd like thrown my degree at the wall and just been like, this thing is useless. Like I spend so much money and where has it gotten me? Nowhere. Glad I decided to do all the right, the quotation, right things you're supposed to do in life. And I did party. I didn't drink. I haven't done hard drugs. Like I did all the things I was supposed to do. And I was like, cool. Glad life smacked me right in the face. Yes. Yeah, and so that goes to was, show, not to cut you off, but it goes to show that no, you you're can good. do all the right things in society's eyes and it will not work out if it's not meant for you. This is true. And coming to terms that like maybe what's considered the best road or the best option in terms of like societal pressure is not what's for you. And getting to know yourself younger and figuring out what feeds your soul, what makes you happy, and then learning how what feeds you as a person and nourishes you and turning that into something that you can do to contribute to your community somehow. And then that's your job and and making those connections sooner. But yeah, I was working at the second lab I worked at and I was just coming home exhausted because I'm the type of person, if I'm at work, I'm, I'm working. I, if I'm here, I want to be moving the whole time I'm here. And when I leave and go home, that's when I, I'm going to sit down. So I would come home bitterly exhausted. Didn't want to do anything. I'd like fall asleep sleep on the couch at like 8 30 at night but I would come home to my boyfriend then who's now my husband and I would just cry and I'd be like I hate my job it's boring I've learned everything I can learn and now they're putting like a cap on you know trying to move me somewhere else to teach me new stuff I have this boss who's aggressive another one who's like borderline sociopathic and then you know my coworkers are what they are and it wasn't a good environment to be in all day long And so I just had a lot of emotional breakdowns. What helped me a lot was honestly the support of the people I have closest to me, like Trevor being really encouraging, like me telling him like, I hate this job. Like I know I have to go back tomorrow because it's my job, but I I have to do something else. And unfortunately he was in nursing school at the time. So there was a lot of pressure on him to, to get done school but he was always encouraging of like if you feel like you need to do nursing I support you and when I'm done school you can go back to school kind of it was never a question of me doing the thing that he's doing or well you can't do that because I'm doing this like he never it was never an argument it was always like okay let's come up with a plan and how how can we support each other through our things and then you because at that same time you had been I want to say pretty successful in your entrepreneurial Pinterest and making a living from all of that. And you were like, I completely understand being in a toxic work environment. If you need something different, then go after it. And I know you can do it. And so that was really helpful having people around me encourage me to do it and then supporting me through that journey of getting there. I would say personally, I just, I didn't, I, my motivation was not having to go back to that lab. Like I knew I didn't want to go back there. So I knew I had to figure out a different way. So that was kind of my personal motivation. And I also kind of wanted to also bring up this moment where I remember when you first were done with like nursing school and whatnot. And we were always talking about like how I was always trying to remind you, like if something doesn't work out, it's because there's something better for you. And I remember when you were trying to get that job at one hospital and that fell through and explain that, because I think that is like one way that the universe kind of comes through and like shows oh, so better. Uh, what had happened was it was, I was trying to become a tech when I was like near the end of school. 
because I wanted to work in critical care and the world of nursing is different post COVID, but prior to COVID, it was pretty unheard of in most places that you hire new graduate nursing students right into critical care, like the ICU, because it's just a very, there's a lot of moving parts and a lot of things to absorb and learn. And it's very time responsive. You have to be quick. So uh, I figured out that a lot of hospitals like to hire people who are nursing students who worked as techs in their ICU as nurse. They'll hire you as a nurse in the ICU more likely if you do that. So I had a manager of an ICU that my friend had already worked there and she was in nursing school with me. And so she referred me, I had an interview with the manager, loved her. It was great. She loved me. She wanted to hire me as soon as possible. Well, if you know me, you know, I drink a gallon of water a day. Like so much water. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, not right now because I'm bad cookie, but normally I lift a lot of weights and I drink a lot of water. I'm pretty active. So I still drink my water. Don't go to the gym as much. Uh, so I drank a gallon of water and I went to go do like my drug screening and the urine came back to dilute because I had drank too much water. Not a big deal. They were like, you'll just repeat it. So I don't drink a gallon purposely the second time. I drink some water, but not a gallon. I do it again, comes back dilute again, probably because I drank a gallon the day before. I didn't think that far through. <laughs> and they had a they were like a very strict policy hospital. You know, there's different types of hospitals. They were really strict. They like hold, cling tightly to their policies. So their policy was if you failed it twice, aka even if it was dilute, they consider that a fail, they were not going to hire you. They rescind their offer. So they like go through these channels and don't tell the actual manager on my floor who's expecting me to like start soon. And they rescind the offer. So I had to like call her and tell her, you know, it's very strange. They rescinded the offer. She's like, this is absurd. She's like, I don't even understand. And I didn't understand. I was confused at this point. I'm like, I don't even know how my urine came back to the second time. Because when I peed in the cup, it was yellow. Like I'm now I'm thinking like the lady who used my urine sample did something wrong when she collected it or after she collected it because it was the same person both times. Anyway, so she, the manager was mad and she was like, I'll get this fixed. Long story short. They like, because they cling to their policies, they wouldn't budge. So then my friend who is and has been a critical care nurse for a few years was telling me that they do nurse internships where you work as a tech, but they also have you like one shift a week with an actual nurse. And this is all before you graduate nursing school and you get to learn things in the ICU. And when you graduate, they'll hire you into ICU as a nurse. So then I got that job. No problem with my drug test on that one. Theirs worked perfectly fine. So I don't know what the other hospital is doing. And that's when you said that, because I was really upset for a long time. I was like, damn it. I don't understand what happened. And you were like, well, some things are not meant for you. And that was not meant to be. And at the time you're like, Oh, I hate when people say that. But then when it, when everything falls into place, you're like, man, you were completely right. (laughs) This is honestly perfect. And I couldn't have thought of like a better way for this to fall into place. Honestly, because I just talked about this on my last episode, actually um, talking about how the saying, like everything happens for a reason, things don't happen. So better can work out whatever. And to be like really mindful of when you use that and how you use that and for me like that situation it was just like I just knew in my heart that there was something better for her coming Mm. and we talk on that kind of level so I knew that she would understand (laughs) 
Yes, I understood perfectly. Also, like, I'm probably one of the least offensive people. You probably have to do something pretty blatantly rude in order to offend me. But yeah, it's just like, I know sometimes too, being that person on the other end, like you also have to take it with a grain of salt. Like you can't be so unapproachable that like if someone says that to you and they're well-intentioned, you also don't want to go so far in the other direction that you're like now yelling at them and like completely offended to them. Now you're closing a door Mm. of connection that you could have with somebody. All you have to do is like respect that they're trying to provide you support and comfort from a good place. And if that type of support doesn't work for you and you need something else then just tell them that yeah like just communicate it which so many of us struggle with because we were never taught which is another thing that I want to mention like I have hopes for our generation as parents at least this, this is my hope is that collectively we can come together to help our children communicate but also help our children realize their full potential and that they can go after whatever they want without feeling like it's the wrong choice. Because I feel like so many parents can be super critical about the decisions that their children make because they want what's best for them. But at the I end, think of there's the day, also probably a small amount of let's be real, if we're going to get honest with ourselves, a small amount of as a parent, you're worried what so and so's kids doing, and you're worried mm-hmm. about what so-and-so thinks about what your kid's going to do. And you have to remain balanced in your own decisions, the way I think you raise your kid and that you've raised your kids to make good decisions for the most part, unless they're obviously doing something that's like dangerous to them. Exactly. And I think too, there's also this belief that I have is that as humans, we all have our own life lessons and things that we're meant to go through. And some things just cannot be controlled. Like you can try to control your child to make the best possible decisions, but at the end of the day, that's not always going to work out. Sometimes the most controlled children are the ones that rebel. So like the ones that are like, have parents that are super strict and don't let them, you know, do things that they rebel or they get this new sense of freedom when they leave the house. When they're older and all of a sudden they're like indulging in life's pleasures. And yeah, there's there's like a very important aspect, like we were talking about in our first episode about too, if you're trying to control your child, are you doing it through like guilt and manipulation? Mm -hmm. Like and you know, if you use the word control, it has a negative connotation, I think. So Mm -hmm. it's probably gonna be one of those negative ways of of interacting with your child. And then you're damaging that relationship, that communication and and openness, and they're not going to come confide in you when something serious happens. And I don't know about the listeners, but I know myself, I would rather, and maybe this is, maybe I'll change my mind if I have kids. Uh, I know that's another thing. Of course, we don't have kids yet. And everybody who's listening knows that I so deeply, badly want a child (laughs) in freaking divine timing, right? Yeah divine timing uh that you would want them to come to you you know my sister is a great example she's always had this very open door policy with my niece and really tried to not criticize her when she openly comes to her and shares something even if it's like something my sister's not comfortable with like dumb you know dumb stuff like you know, the first time she might kiss a boy or, or something, you know, like you're, you're not ready for that, depending at any age, I think then it just means your kids growing up. But even recently, like my niece's behavior has changed quite a bit. She's like kind of distant and cold to my sister and she's, she loves school, but she's not doing well. 
And so I was talking to my sister the other day about obviously something's going on with her, but she won't share with my sister. And so this is like a new chapter for her because normally she always shares. So mm, there's something, something going on, but there that we have to figure out. But in general, she's always gotten to her and told her when something is wrong. Like if someone's making fun of her at school, if someone's making fun of one of her friends at school, like if someone is bullying her through a chat room, you know, she's always telling her. And I feel like that my sister's ability to help her and be supportive without basically grounding her or having her get in trouble has been really mutually exclusive to their relationship and like helpful. That makes sense. No, that does make sense. Absolutely. It's their connection. Yeah. And that also just goes to show that you can have that open communication with your child, but there's still going to be difficult things that your child's going to go through that's going to make them closed off. And it's really about having the patience to show up for them still, even when they are pulling away from you um, without, you know, overstepping boundaries or whatever else. So, yeah. I know things will definitely change when I have children of my own, that's for sure. And I send all my love to parents out there because I know it's not an easy easy task to do, that's for sure. There's reason I don't have any learning. So much learning through it, but... Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like this episode is probably getting long and we could continue talking and talking and talking, uh, <laughs> but so we will probably have to split this up or maybe like touch base on a little bit more if we, on the next episode. And yeah, but I, I love showing up with Courtney and talking to you guys. And I cannot wait for us to have our podcast channel of our own for these conversations. So excited. Stay tuned. And same thing, um, if you, I think, do we have an email that they can email? Because, or you, I mean, you already have one set up that we could plug too, because I'd love to hear stories of like people's journeys as well, like with failure and success and overcoming all of those feelings and then being able to kind of like start over and start a new season with themselves. Yes, 100%. If you have a story or if you resonated at all with our stories, please send an email to thoughts that manifest at gmail.com. We would love to hear them. And we will also share some without, you know, letting people know who sent it. Cause I know that's a personal thing. Um, but if you ever want to like share your story with the listeners or anything else, let us know. We are always open to connect with all of you. So yeah. And that is it. We are sending you so much love guys. Until Thank you for listening. Time.